Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. A quick note for listeners before we get to this episode of SEC Football Unfiltered. Auburn fired coach Brian Harson on Monday afternoon, hours after we recorded this episode. Harson is referenced in this episode as being Auburn's coach, but the Tigers coaching search is underway. We will discuss that more next week. Now on to today's episode. Welcome back into SEC Football Unfiltered, our podcast from the USA Today Network. I'm Blake Topmeyer alongside John Adams, and we have a big slate of games this weekend. SEC East is on the line in Athens, and the number one ranking in a nation is on the line in Athens with uh, with Tennessee traveling to play Georgia. First place in the West is on the line with uh, Alabama at LSU. We will get into that. We will get into Jimbo Fisher's continued demise and Lane Kiffin hanging on the rim after Ole Miss beat the Aggies on Saturday. And of course, we'll have our picks in the final segment. But uh, John, it's a college football playoff rankings week. Uh, the, the inaugural rankings are are out uh, or they're, they're going to be out this week as we record this. And, and uh, you know, the early listeners of this podcast, the rankings are, are not out yet. So we we're going to have this conversation, not knowing how the committee is is going to vote, but I think a lot of these topics uh, will remain relevant regardless of, of how the rankings show out here on on Tuesday evening. You know, before we get into some specific scenarios, college football playoff committee I think does things a little bit differently than the AP and the coaches poll. I feel like the the committee honestly does it a little bit better than than the two polls. And, and I think the AP poll does a pretty nice job. I, I like the AP poll a little bit better than the coaches poll. However, I, I really think the committee has done a nice job looking at resume and trying to ignore some of the rest and, and really look at who have you played, who have you beat. They factor in the eye test a little bit. They catch a lot of criticism, but I think they've done a pretty good job. What's your perspective? Am I heaping too much praise upon the job the committee's done and filling out the playoff field in years past? I think when you compare it to the two polls, yeah, I think it's doing a little bit better job. I think it's a little more analytical. I just think it's almost impossible to remove all prejudice when, from something like this, though. You mentioned the eye test. The eyesight varies from one person to the next. So, you know, and, and I wonder about a team's image based on past performance, how much that factors in. To me, you need to do it what's happening right now, look at the numbers, look at the strength of schedule, and eliminate the name on the jersey, the longstanding track record, all that stuff. And I think it's very hard to do. So, But I would like to say that where we're waiting on the committee, the committee's already voted on this podcast. Mm. We received emails this week from Allison in Wisconsin who is very enamored with this podcast and to her credit, she's her emails. It, it struck me. She's very bright. 
I could tell just by reading her prose. And I want to I want to send that up the chain, you know, to all the suits in our Gannett Empire that this podcast is just not some southern thing. It's not grits. We're we're receiving national acclaim now from a listener, a very astute listener in Wisconsin. And people need to start considering that. And I'd kind of like uh, kind of like to open this up for a title sponsor if somebody's interested. And maybe some uh, Wisconsin cheese curd company will Whoa, sponsor. I'll, this, hey, I want cheese head. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Well, if you're like Allison and, and enjoy this podcast, we'd appreciate it if you take a, a moment to rate us, review us. And subscribe if you don't already. All right, that's that's the plug. Let's get back into the college football playoff talk. So I'll say this for the last time. We're, we're doing this before the rankings are out. You might be listening to this before the rankings are out. Or you might be listening later in the week and you already know what, what the rankings say. However, I think you'll see that, that these conversations remain relevant regardless. So, John, I'm going to throw a few true or false scenarios at you. And uh, you spit back an answer my way. So let's start with the two teams that will meet in Georgia in the CBS special on Saturday. So we get Tennessee and Georgia, both undefeated. True or false, John? Tennessee and Georgia at this point should be ranked number one and number two. And I'm even going to let you decide. You you figure out how you're going to rank them one one or two. But there should be no teams ahead of the two best teams in the SEC right now. It should be either Georgia one, Tennessee two, or Tennessee one, Georgia two. True or false? Uh, true. Uh, Tennessee should be number one. Georgia should be number two. And unlike so many voters, committee members, coaches, I'm completely unbiased and objective. I happen to live in Knoxville, but that has nothing to do with this. If you study my track record, voted in the poll for many, many years, it's, uh, I said to me, I think I set the gold standard for how you vote in a poll. And I don't mean to be bragging, but that's no. just how I see it. No, I mean, uh, you're as humble as they come. I've Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. So, yes. Tennessee should be number one and Georgia number two. So true. Well, and to your point about your lack of bias, John, there have been, um, you know, many, many Knoxvillians and Tennessee fans over the years that would like you probably to have sank to the bottom of the Tennessee river, or maybe have contributed to tying an anchor around your, your leg and throwing you in. That's how popular you've been in some portions of the Tennessee fan base. Yeah. They, they could have, Easily at times wanted to strap me to one of those goalposts that they dragged into the river after the win over Alabama. Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you with Tennessee number one because of the resume. They they have the best win of the season in that they beat Alabama. And I think Georgia's win over Oregon looks better all the time. However, when you move past that, Georgia doesn't have as much on its resume as what Tennessee does. Tennessee has the road win at LSU as its number two win. That that looks you know, pretty strong right now with LSU sitting at six and two. Now, of course, this will be settled in Athens. I think whoever wins this game on Saturday, you can probably put them at, at number one in every ranking the following week. But I'm, I'm with you right now. I think it should be Tennessee one. I think it should be ten, it should be Georgia two before you get in uh, to the Big Ten teams after that. All right, next question, John. True or false? Alabama 
one loss Alabama should be ranked ahead of undefeated TCU and undefeated Clemson. I will go false on that one. I'm impressed with TCU. I think the Big 12 is a very balanced league. I don't think you have any easy games in that league. And Alabama, sure, it's only losses to Tennessee on Tennessee's home field, last second loss. And so to a top ranked team, kind of team, top five team. But it would have lost to Texas, I feel, if quarterback Quinn Ewers hadn't gotten hurt in that game. You were at that game, you saw it, uh, covered it. So, yeah, I just. I like TCU. Um, we talked about it earlier. TCU reminds me somewhat of Tennessee. Big-time offense, and it comes up clutch on defense. So I don't feel the same. I would put Alabama ahead of Clemson, though. Yeah, I think, you know, going back to what we said earlier, if you're, if you're ignoring the name on the jersey and you're taking bias out of this, I think I, I, would, I would have both TCU and Clemson ahead of, of Alabama. Um, I would have... TCU, no question ahead. I think they're being undervalued in, in the AP poll and the coaches poll. Uh, both of those polls have Alabama ahead of TCU. Uh, and I don't think that's right because I think to your point, they've played a, a, a pretty good schedule. I mean, they have wins against Oklahoma State. They have a, a Kansas State. They, they trounced Oklahoma. They went on the road and beat a red-hot Kansas team. I mean, this is a team with a, a solid resume. I think the only reason they're not ranked higher in the AP and the coaches poll is because of the, the name on the Jersey. And I think when you look at Alabama, again, if we're removing biases and just looking at the resume, and it was so popular to say, you know, ain't played nobody, but I mean, think about it. What, what is Alabama's best win right now? Either. I mean, on, on the road at Arkansas, I guess blowing out Mississippi state at, at home. Those are decent wins. But to have a loss on the resume and have your best win either be at Arkansas or home against Mississippi State, I, I just feel like that's a little bit lacking to put a one-loss team ahead of undefeateds. So I, I'd have both TCU and Clemson ahead of Alabama at this point. I see your point on Clemson. They haven't played as much uh, as as TCU. They've, you know, they've really walked the tightrope at times, and I'm wondering if they might get exposed against Notre Dame this weekend. So, but we're both in the camp of false. They, you don't think they should be ranked ahead of, of both those teams. So, um, just, just Clemson for you, for me, I think they should, they should be trailing both. Uh, all right. Next question, John, regardless of what these initial rankings say, true or false, the sec will put two teams in the playoff. We saw it happen last year with Georgia-Alabama. We saw it happen in the 2017 season with Georgia-Alabama. So true or false, I'm not going to have you name which two because there's a few candidates that it could get, but they're going to put a minimum of two teams in the playoff. True or false? True. I just think the odds favor that. There are some, some scenarios where that wouldn't work out, but if you look at the top-level teams, you have four teams in the league with – two teams with no losses and two teams with one loss. So even Ole Miss is, has a possible opportunity. So yeah, I, I just think the odds favor. And we saw that in the go back to last year's national championship game, Alabama and Georgia 2017 season championship game, Alabama and Georgia. So there's a, there's a, a precedent for this. 
Do you still think, John, that there's a gap between, you know, as we've handicapped this before, you've said Georgia and, and Tennessee absolutely playoff contenders. You felt like just barely Alabama kind of dropped below the line and, and was in the pretender status. You, f- you felt like there was a gap, you know, a notable gap between the playoff chances of Tennessee and Georgia versus Alabama. Do, has that changed in your mind at, at all? Do you give Alabama a better chance of, of making the playoff than maybe what you did when we had that conversation a couple of weeks ago? Maybe so. Um, poss- probably because of what I've seen from Georgia. Uh, watching Georgia against Florida Saturday, came out like gangbusters, jumped out to a big lead, then just sort of lost interest, got sloppy. That That bothered me. And the other factor is Bryce Young for Alabama. I just think if the game is close, although he couldn't do it against Tennessee, came out second to Hendon Hooker, Tennessee's star quarterback, although he couldn't do it there, I think in most cases I'm taking him in a close game. So, no, I don't see the gap there that I did earlier. I, I can see Alabama getting if there An Alabama-Georgia SEC championship game to me would be a toss-up. Okay, so what you're saying is, if you're an Alabama fan, you should you should want Georgia to win on Saturday, beat Tennessee, so you don't have to face the Vols again, because you like Alabama's chances a little better against Georgia and Atlanta than you do against Tennessee and Atlanta. Is that right? Yes, I do. Okay. All right. Last last true or false, and then we're we're going to move on to the the two big games that are that are in front of us this weekend. Uh, true or false, John? Tennessee being undefeated is a bigger surprise than Texas A&M being three and five. <laughs> I know these are two, two of the most surprising storylines in the SEC. I've given you a, a tough one there. Which is the bigger depends, surprise? I think it depends on whether you ask the Aggies or Vols. Uh, but I think Tennessee is a bigger surprise. We weren't sure about Texas A&M's quarterback situation. You were sure you you had a Max Johnson poster in your your bedroom. Okay, let me rephrase. Uh, a lot of people weren't sure about Texas A and M's quarterback situation. Um, I wasn't one of those. I am now. Uh, I'm on that Connor Weigman bandwagon. By the way, you could pencil me in there. Uh, so, it, but Tennessee just—I mean, to be. To be outside the top twenty, top twenty-five preseason poll, and now to be in the running at number one—I mean, that's just astounding. I, that to me, Tennessee is the surprise of college football. All right, well, let's stick with that, John, as as we play things forward to this weekend. And normally, you know, this this first Saturday in in November, the game in the SEC is Alabama and LSU. Well, this year, they, they've, they've moved the date of the Tennessee-Georgia game. That used to fall earlier in the season. I don't think Tennessee liked that because they'd have Florida, you know, in kind of late September, and then they'd play Georgia shortly after that. And then, the, and then they have Alabama third Saturday in October. And so anyway, you know, the SEC eventually changed that to where now Tennessee-Georgia is a, is a November special. But still, you know, I think in many ways you would think Alabama LSU is is kind of the SEC game of the the season, really. Um, at least in term determining the SEC race. But things things have changed. Uh, 
You have Georgia sitting here as the defending national champions. They beat Alabama in the, the championship game in Indianapolis last year. And now you have Tennessee rising up and taking the country by storm. And so long-term, John, you know, I think if you dialed the clock back several years ago, you could say it was it was Alabama and LSU's world in the SEC, and everybody else was trying to to rise up and, and have a year where they could contend with one of those teams. And then in the last five years, Georgia has taken up the mantle there. It was it was Georgia and Alabama in the SEC, really since 2017. They've been they've been duking it out. Uh, more years than not, Georgia, Alabama's had had the upper hand. Georgia gained the upper hand last year. Now we know the league is expanding to 16 teams with Oklahoma and Texas set to join. And we know division play is going to go away. Everybody's going to be in one big, happy 16-team family. So it's not going to be East versus West anymore. Do you see a future in which it could be Georgia and Tennessee duking it out for uh, for top spot in, in the SEC fairly consistently? Or am I being a little quick by even floating that idea out there to think that just because Tennessee beat Alabama this year, you know, let's let's hold off before thinking they're not in the top two conversation year after year for, for Kings of the SEC. I think the, the way to look at it is Tennessee could be in the top four. I'm so enthralled with uh, Tennessee's offense and what Josh Heupel has done to me looks like the best offensive coach in college football right now. Tennessee's leading the nation in scoring, and it doesn't have as much offensive talent as some of these teams. So I'm I'm certainly not dismissing Alabama and Nick Saban. I think what we're going to see, Blake, is an expanded uh, field of championship contenders. I, I think the way these teams are set up, you look at how Alabama and Georgia recruit, they're not going anywhere. They're going to stay up there. But I think Tennessee can can move up to that perch. And I think maybe LSU has that kind of potential too. When you look what it's done in the past, and I, I believe in Brian Kelly that he can remake that program. I, I think, John, you mean Brian Kelly and his family. <laughs> Come on now. You're from I've Louisiana. To, you got to talk I, talk just as Southern as Brian Kelly does. He's a, he's a Southern boy at heart, Brian, uh, Brian Kelly is. Uh, and, we, and and I think the South is, is united behind him and his venture there at LSU. Sound like Kevin Spacey from that. Uh, yes, House of Cards. House the, of Cards. Done, <laughs> done. Okay. I, no, I, I mean – I guess Tennessee, based on recent track record, it's it's the outsider in that bunch. But again, let's stay current. And you look at how Josh Heupel has turned this thing around so fast. I think he's going to have more talent in the future. So I think Tennessee belongs now in that upper echelon, and I think LSU can get get back to that. And Alabama and Georgia aren't going anywhere as long as they have – Nick Saban in Alabama and Kirby Smart at Georgia. I agree with you, John. I pose the talking point, but I uh, <laughs> I don't see Alabama fading from from this conversation in, in any way. And I, I think you put it well. It's to, in a sixteen team league with no divisions. It may be you know a broader conversation of like a four pack of teams that are that are. 
duking it out consistently. And, and, and I think certainly Georgia, Alabama, LSU will be in that mix. And then it's a question of who is that fourth team? Can Tennessee sustain this after Hendon Hooker heads to the NFL after this season? I mean, as long as Josh Heupel's there, I think you have to believe there's a chance that, that they can sustain, maybe not being in the conversation for number one team in the nation, but can be in the conversation for getting to Atlanta um, you know, on a semi-regular basis. I think coming into this season, if we would have had this conversation of who are the four teams that more years than not are going to form the top of the conversation to reach the SEC championship in an expanded SEC, I think we would have said Georgia, Alabama, no question, are, are two of those teams. I think we probably still would have said LSU with Brian Kelly uh, would have been in there. Who else would we have? We might have said Oklahoma coming yeah, into this year. We wouldn't have said Tennessee. You know, I, I don't think, you know, no question. We would, we would not have said Tennessee before the start of the season that they could long-term be in a, you know, a short list of, of teams that are regularly contending for the, the championship. I, I think we probably would have said Oklahoma. What do you think? Uh, very much so, Blake. Uh, I think, and I'm not dismissing Oklahoma now. I know it's having an off year. It's a transitional year to go to Brent Venables as a head coach after having Lincoln Riley there. I mean, Oklahoma's history is too strong to ignore, and I think it will recruit well in the SEC. It's now playing in the top top league, and it can recruit to that. There's plenty of money for NIL there. So I think what we could have, we could have a big five. Uh, so you're, you're not believing the Oklahoma brand is dead, and, and I know there's, oh, there's no. maybe some panic going around in, in no. Oklahoma these days. That tends to happen. You're, you're not saying, oh, my gosh, you know, they, they've lost Lincoln Riley. They're not, you know, they're mediocre this season, and now they're coming to the SEC. It's all over for the, for the Sooners. Listen, with Oklahoma's history, if they're not near the top, they will change quickly. And they did that a long time ago with Howard Snellenberger when he went there and things weren't working out and boom, he was gone. He just disappeared. <laughs> so they're, 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 they're not one to stand pat and say, well, we'll give him some time. Uh-uh, time is now. And so uh, I think Oklahoma will be right near the top. I wonder about Texas. I, I, I well, just... What about Texas A&M, John? Because if we would have had this conversation in August – Oh, yeah. We would have been considering A&M for that short list, I, I think. Now, are they just – is the shine off? Are, are we ready to join in and with Lane Kiffin here and just shoveling the dirt on Jimbo Fisher's tenure? Can he – if he survives this season, have you seen enough from some of these these talented freshmen like you know Evan Stewart and, and Connor Wigman, you know, his, his debut as the starter? Have you seen enough to think Jimbo's just got to get through this year they're going to be really good next year. They're going to be in that conversation for the SEC championship. Or have you moved on and said, no, this is not going to work for Jimbo Fisher at A&M. This is the beginning of the end. Yeah, uh, I think we both pride ourselves in in hopping on and off bandwagons. And, and yes, and I was a huge proponent of Jimbo Fisher, loved to hire, and uh, now moving on. And Jimbo can roll on with that bandwagon and whoever dares to to jump on with him as he heads for a cliff, about a $90 million cliff, I should point out. Uh, so, yeah, I just don't see what they am. I, and I wonder if they can keep some of those prize freshmen. Uh, I wonder, 
Evan Stewart might say, you know, maybe I need to be playing. Uh, this Wagman guy might be okay at quarterback, but maybe I need to be catching balls from uh, Caleb Williams or uh, uh, move somewhere else. So I, it's hard to feel good about that program right now. I agree. It, yeah. it just, I mean, five losses. Uh, we they, talked. They, they they may miss a bowl game. I mean, really, when you look at the schedule, they got Florida. They're hosting Florida this week in what uh, in what feels like a, a toss up game. They they have one cupcake left on the schedule, and then they also have LSU. You know, they they need to win, and they have uh, excuse me, they have Auburn as well. So they have Florida, Auburn, Massachusetts, and LSU. They're sitting at three and five. They need to get at least three of those games. I mean, I know this is a team that lost to App State, but Massachusetts is one and seven. I think they can handle Massachusetts at home. So that gets them to four wins. So you got to win two out of three against Florida, Auburn, and LSU to even get to bowl eligibility. I'm not convinced they'll do it. I kind of think they will, but you're right. They may not. You you can't how can you be convinced? Were you surprised, John? So Ole Miss had a had an important bounce back victory. You know, they, they were in that game against LSU for really almost three quarters. And then, you know, a couple of weeks ago, Jackson Dart threw that interception in the end zone. Ole Miss had a chance to regain the lead there late in the third quarter, throws the interception. It was all LSU from there. And the score looks lopsided. And I was, you know, I, I, I had some concerns about Ole Miss. I didn't think they were going to lose out, you know, but I, I thought eh, maybe this is an, eight or nine win team and not a 10 or 11 win team, but they bounce back. They go on the road. They beat Texas A&M last week. They got Zach Evans back. And, and I thought that, uh, you know, Evans and Judkins to have a one, two punch, you got to have Evans in there. And I mean, Judkins is, is option one these days. And just the the freshman is, is having a a great season. Um, but I thought it was, it was important. He had his compliment back. Jackson Dart got back to running it a little bit, which is where he's at his, at his best, I believe. But were you surprised afterwards with how much Lane Kiffin piled on Jimbo Fisher? Now, I mean, Jimbo Fisher, I mean, he just napalmed uh, Nick Saban in, in the preseason. Saban, of course, said, you know, he, he threw the first elbow and said that Texas A&M bought every player on its roster. And then Jimbo Fisher, of course, fired back and called Nick Saban a despicable narcissist and a false god among many other other things he said about the uh, the greatest coach in the land but you know Kiffin he was he was ready to to come back here on Saturday because Kiffin got caught up a little bit in Jimbo's crosshairs too in the offseason when Kiffin suggested that uh, you know this new NIL landscape and recruiting inducements may have influenced Texas A&M signing class last year Jimbo called Kiffin and others clown acts that was his. That was his phrase. They were clown acts. Well, Lane, he was ready for that one Saturday, and he was. You know, he made several references to that comment from Jimbo. You could tell he was motivated by it. And here was one of his quotes. Kiffin said, "When someone attacks you personally and calls you and your buddy, Coach Saban, both clowns, <laughs> you take that personal." Um, and he he made several references to that comment in in the. You know, Lane is a master of wit and deadpan, but you could tell this this wasn't just him joking around, having a laugh. He really wanted to get back at, at Jimbo and, and succeed. Were you surprised that Lane came out swinging like that and, and put it so bluntly? 
Well, you, you wrote about this in the column, and it is unusual to see a coach attacking another, but it was unusual that Jimbo did it, and so it's unusual that Lane did it. But maybe times are changing. And I think, uh, you know, Kiffin loves mixing it up. He loves being on Twitter. He's really good at it. He's funny. He's clever. Uh, and I like the way he aligned himself with Nick Saban. Mm-hmm. You know, the the buddy bozo, so to speak, if if you uh, believe what Jimbo's saying. And they are now, you know, they are now a sort of a team. I, I think there was had to be some friction there when they were working together. However, I do think Lane Kiffin respects what Nick Saban's done with the game and maybe doesn't it's almost like, yeah, he's above everybody else. And sure, I might needle Nick Saban some, but I don't call him a false guard and God and a narcissist. You draw the line at that. And so I think he might have, I think he was genuinely angered by that. And it's hard to read Kiffin, but I think he would have been by that. Well, I think in the coaching community too, John, as you mentioned, I wrote in a column, the one thing you can't do in the coaching community is criticize another coach. You can cheat. You can have some instances of, of moral turpitude. You're not going to get excommunicated from the coaching community from doing that type of stuff. But you call out another coach and you burn down another coach the way Jimbo did to Nick Saban this offseason. I mean, that is the cardinal sin of the coaching community. As I put it, that's taking on the clipboard wall. And you do not do that. And I think the fact that not only did Jimbo take on the clipboard wall, but who he took on. You know, I'm not saying every coach out there, you know, just loves Nick Saban and they're ready to wrap him in a big hug. But I think there is, um, you know, really just undeniable respect throughout coaches for what he has achieved and built at Alabama, uh, the way he's been become a, I mean, just an unstoppable force. I think there is at least respect in the coaching community for that. And I think there's a look at Jimbo when those comments, you know, Jimbo made those comments, it's like, well, what have you done, Jimbo? What have you won? Yeah, he won the national championship at Florida State. But in the SEC, what's he done? You know, what's he done since Jameis Winston's left? Nothing. And I have to think, you know, in the coaching community, when you see someone go after Nick Saban the way Jimbo did with that harsh of language, and then, you know, these other coaches are like, what, is, what gives Jimbo the right to say this? I, I think there has to be that type of feeling. Not only did he um, did he take on another coach and, and and break rule number one of coaching, which is to not criticize another coach. He he did it, you know, against the the best coach that that this sport has seen. And and as I said, someone whom even if if there's other coaches out there that maybe aren't sending Christmas cards to Nick Saban or uh, ready to give him a hug when they see him. I do think there's that respect out there for Saban and and Jimbo. You know, he didn't he didn't kowtow to Nick Saban. He didn't he didn't show him much respect with those comments. And and I think you know Lane Kiffin's probably putting into what into words what some other coaches are privately feeling when it comes toward Jimbo Fisher. Yeah, Jimbo really was over the top on that tantrum. I mean, great sound bites. I'm all oh, for it. Sure. I'm going to love it, but it was way over the top. And if I, he would have been better served by, by taking Lane's approach and doing something a little more clever, just a, just a tweet or two, or just a throwaway line, Mm -hmm. but, but go in. 
I mean, false guard, false God, narcissist. Um, come on. I, I think there's resentment toward Jimbo from other coaches because and maybe toward A&M in general from some, some coaches, because it's like A&M has tremendous resources, tremendous money. It's like A&M's everybody wants to buy a championship, but they look at A&M as more overt and they haven't done it in the past. So it's just kind of a sort of like an intruder nouveau riche, so to speak. And it just comes out there with, uh, okay, we're going to buy Jimbo Fisher. We're going to pay him this absurd amount of money. And we're going to give him one of the greatest contracts a coach has ever signed. He can just walk away without penalty. If he gets fired, he's the richest coach or ex-coach in the country. So, yeah, I just think, and as you said, he hasn't done it in the SEC. If he'd have won that national championship in the SEC, say at Florida, instead of Florida State, he might be perceived differently. But he hadn't done it. He hadn't done it in this league, and this league can be really provincial. And it's kind of earned some of its, obviously earned its status as a premier league. So, yeah, I just think uh, it was a bad, it, it just, it's just worked out terribly for, for Jimbo Fisher. When you go back, think about it, Blake, before the press conference, he's sitting there in the with the number one recruiting class in the country. It's mm-hmm. the NIL era. Who cares how much money they got? And you who cares what they're saying about you? Yeah. Who no, cares? Honestly, who cares? Yeah. You got the best re- number one recruiting class. You beat Alabama last year. You're on the way up. And no, that was pre, pre-Saban rant. And ever since then, it's just been all downhill at a very high speed. John, I think you made a lot of great points there, but I'm still hung up on the fact that you brought Nouveau Riche into a, a college football podcast. You have you have raised the bar. We are now appealing to a higher brow, the upper crust. You you bring it in that type of vocabulary into SEC well, football unfiltered here. I'm trying to go global with this thing. How do you yeah. think Brian Kelly would feel about you bringing Nouveau Riche? Nouveau I think riche. Brian Kelly. I think Brian Kelly is perceived as nouveau riche and really didn't earn his status in this great southern land of ours. <laughs> I think you're. I think you're right, John. The one thing for all you can say about Jimbo, and I wrote this. He broke rule number one in the profession when he when he came at Nick Saban with as much fire as he did. But rule number two is to make sure you have an escape hatch lined. <laughs> with dollar bills and and Jimbo didn't forget. He may have forgot about rule one, but he didn't forget about rule two. He's got that escape hatch just lined with cash. Um, It would take 87 and a half million dollars to fire Jimbo as we sit here today. And I know we talked hot seat rankings last week. I want to get into all that, but is, is there any, is there any scenario, John, in which you see Jimbo not being the Aggies coach? going into next season, you know, if, if they miss a bowl game and finish five and seven, is there any scenario in which you see the hat gets passed, the cash comes in and A&M comes up with 87 million to buy him out? One thing I'll point out, you don't have to have it all on day one. I believe they would have to have about 25% on day one. So you don't, you don't need 87 million in that hat 
uh, when you fire Jimbo, you just you just got to have twenty million plus ready to to send him off, and then you can you can pay on him like Bobby Bonilla for the rest of eternity. <laughs> Bobby Bonilla, nice reference. Logically, your you, your first thought on that, well, there's no way. But then you also could have looked at Gus Malzahn at Auburn, twenty one million is no way. He's out the door. Now Auburn's getting ready to fire somebody else. Never say in the SEC, well, that's too much money. They would never pay that kind of money. Yes, they would. I expect him to be the coach next season. He's got that promising young class, but this season turn takes a turn for the worse. A turn for the worse. It's already turned. Yeah, well, okay. Let a me rephrase that. If the... T- if the downward trend uh, con- continues, I wouldn't rule it out. Would you? I'm not ready to rule it out. I, I still lean toward he's going to get one more go at this next year. But I-, I agree with you. You never say never when it comes to buyout land because the bar keeps getting raised. Every time you think, oh, this is a buyout that's too big, that's when you're about to be proven proven wrong again. So. <laughs> I, I lean toward Jimbo's back next season, but I'm not. I don't have the escape hatch that Jimbo has has set up there, so I'm not willing to to bet the farm on it. That's for sure. Like that, excuse me, but that reminds me. You know, I mentioned we not. I wouldn't mind having a title sponsor mm-hmm. if Jimbo's out of coaching and he's got eighty-seven point five million or whatever to play around with. Maybe he'd be our title sponsor. We'd we'd speak well of him. I like it. SEC football unfiltered. Brought to you by former Aggies coach, Jimbo Fisher. All right, John, let's let's get into the picks. We have a lot of them to get to this week. We're, we're going to do something we haven't done all year. We're going to pick every game involving an SEC team. There's, there's no real um, games you can just gloss over this week. Everything's pretty compelling. And also, I have some ground I need to make up on you, so why not pick a couple extra games? Uh, we had identical records last week. We were each 3-3 three and three with one push. Now, that sounds like a even Steven week, but if you're a sports better, you know you got to pay the VIG. And so John and I both lost money last week despite going 3-3-1. Three, three, and one. For the season, John is in the lead, 22-28 and 28 with one push. I'm at 19-31 and 31 with one push. We're both hovering around the Jimbo mark for success this year. And uh, here we are. Let's, uh, let's get into the picks, John. We're going to start with a, with a big one. In Nashville, on the West End. Ooh, yeah, I know. Uh-huh. I know you love the Doors. Is that 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 has to be? Uh, is that on an alternate channel, or is that in the real world? I think it's uh, ESPN the Ocho. Uh, Get that on the dial. No. Uh, okay. South Carolina, despite losing to uh, to Missouri last weekend, the Smoke and Mirrors Act was was up in Columbia East, and Spencer Rattler's wondering what what he's done getting himself into this some interesting comments uh after that loss to uh to Missouri from South Carolina's quarterback but, non- but nonetheless the Gamecocks are an 8 point favorite against Vanderbilt what's your pick here I don't like what's going on in South Carolina and la- the a week earlier I did like what was going on with South Carolina South Carolina has been kind of fortunate in Kentucky without its quarterback he didn't play um but golly, Vanderbilt. I mean, I just have a hard time taking Vanderbilt under 
basically any any circumstances. Man, could I come back to that, or do I have to pick now? Got to pick now. Okay. We don't want to talk about this game twice. <laughs> <laughs> and we don't we don't want to look at it once. Probably not. That's why it's on the Ocho. <laughs> Gosh. I'm, Were you surprised by Spencer Rattler's comments, John? I mean, yes. I know he's got a track well, record for, you know, just depending on who you believe. I mean, Shane Beamer said this is great guy, no problems, great teammate, et cetera. Uh, <laughs> um, some others would say probably a different story about Spencer Rattler that Shane Beamer said isn't true. He's, he's a great guy. Um, were you surprised to see his remarks about uh, South Carolina and their offense and um, known, you know, whether they knew what to do, whether they were well-prepared, well-coached, going into that Missouri game? Not shocked because of his track record and because of South Carolina's offensive line. He's taken some hits this year. I don't think this is what he signed up for. I think he should have gone West and found him a Mountain West or Pac-12 program where he can pile up some numbers. He is a good quarterback. Thanks for giving me a little more time. I need to just make a decision, get this over with, and I'm going to pick South Carolina and give the points. Yeah, I'm going to take South Carolina as well. I want to close the loop here on Rattler. Here's what he said, according to the state newspaper. Quote, I don't feel like we had a good idea of knowing what to do. I'd say that's where we need to get better at is just preparing and knowing what to do. I mean, I, I guess I would say kudos, or as Philip Fulmer would say, kudos. Kudos for the honesty, because South Carolina didn't look like a team that knew what it was supposed to do against Missouri on Saturday. So although this is a little surprising to see a starting quarterback put it so bluntly, I got to say, I kind of agree with with what Spencer Rattler said. It seemed like a fair assessment. Uh, nonetheless, I, like you, I'm going to need a little more points than just eight if I'm going to take Vanderbilt in the conference game. I'm, I'm not tempted by that. I'm, I'm going with South Carolina as well. Uh, sticking with the, uh, the dregs of, of the SEC, that brings us to Auburn. John, mm. Auburn, uh, uh, Brian Harson is even admitting now that his team's not good. I mean, this is a guy, I mean, he's just been offering some stunning, stunning quotes lately. He's just like, he's like, please, please give me the pink slip. Remove me from this situation I'm finding myself in. Here was his quote <laughs> after Auburn lost by two touchdowns to Arkansas last week at home. Harson said, quote, we're not good enough. That's just what it comes down to. I couldn't have said it better myself. I've been saying that for months now. I've been saying since the preseason, Auburn's not good. Um, Brian Harson hasn't recruited well there. He's lost more than he's gained in the transfer portal. He couldn't keep his staff intact. They had the kangaroo court in the offseason. I mean, yeah, Auburn top to bottom is not good enough. And Brian Harson's even saying it now. What a what a situation on, on the Plains. Uh, Auburn on the road this week. Mississippi State is a 10.5-point favorite. I am taking state to cover in this one. I know the last time we saw state, they were getting beat like a drum against Alabama, but that's that's happened year after year to Mike Leach's team. Nick Saban has the air raid and Mike, Mike Leach figured out. Some other teams haven't figured it out as well, and Auburn hasn't figured much out at all this season. So I will take state to cover the 10.5 points at home against Auburn. Yeah, I think I will too. I think it's unfortunate that Spencer Rattler didn't transfer to Auburn because then you could have the coach 
and the quarterback on the same page with the coach saying we're not good enough and and Spencer Rattler said man we just aren't good enough our coaches aren't good enough team's not good enough we're just awful I don't know why we don't just bring down the curtain on this season so <laughs> it yeah kinda rem- I, it kind of removes the role for a columnist John when you have yeah. a coach saying yeah we're not any good it's like what you know for for people in our position it's like that's what we're supposed to say we're supposed to say they're not any good when the coach is out there saying we're not good what do you expect? You know, we're not, we're not any good. It's like, boy, you just wrote my column for me. Well, yeah, m- my column is candor, such <laughs> a rare quality uh, in the coaching fraternity and football programs. Candor, yeah, we're we stink and we know it. That's the, uh, that's pretty much. Kylie, yeah. though, I, I'm going to pick Mississippi State, but even as bad as Auburn's been, I just don't trust Mississippi State. Yeah, it should win. It should win this game by seventeen points. All right, so we're we're in unison so far. Yeah, um, but unsure. I mean, my confidence has been shaken terribly. I, I admit it. I'll be candid. Also, yeah. you're about as confident in your picks as Brian Harson is and his Auburn Tigers. Yes. <laughs> What's your level of confidence in K- Kentucky? We, uh, we saw Kentucky bounce back from that loss to South Carolina, where they didn't have Will Levis. They bounced back. They beat. Mike Leach's Bulldogs. And then they just get blown up by Tennessee at Neyland last weekend, 44 to six. I mean, it was, it looked like Tennessee was playing a group of five opponent. And in some years, Kentucky has looked like a group of five opponent. This wasn't supposed to be the year where they did that. But nonetheless, they are a two point favorite at upstart Missouri this weekend. And you know, Faroe Field is not a Ooh. place teams want to play. No, because <laughs> they're having it's, flashbacks. Deer, I got to point out, it is deer season uh, at, in in Missouri. Just a quick aside, John. I pulled up the Columbia Tribune uh-huh. uh, on Sunday. It's a paper I used to work at earlier in my career. Spent a few years there, and it's one of our Gannett Gannett partners, USA Today Network partners. So I, I was going to read some information about the big Missouri win over South Carolina on on, um, on Sunday afternoon. I pulled up the website. The lead story in the sports section online there in the, in the main hole with the big photo on the website was about deer season in Missouri. Columbia Tribune says you got to do more than to beat South Carolina. You want the lead story on the sports landing page of our website. We got deer season going on uh, in the great state of Missouri. A photo of a dead deer trumps a, a more lively team every time there. And I appreciate you bringing that to my attention because I didn't realize killing deer was as popular in Missouri as it is. I guess I should have, I don't know why. I just didn't think of Missouri as that as hunting being that big a deal. Yeah, I lived in, a, um, you know, just outside of town in Columbia for the four mm-hmm. years I was there, John, it was very common for me to look out my window and see my neighbor walking through the backyard to the woods, gun and cam gun in hand and camo on. And walked out of the house right into the right into the woods. I hoped he was shooting away from the house and not toward it, considering I was inside. But never what, got hit by anything. What's the biggest buck you've brought down, Blake? Never been hunting, John. Despite growing up growing up in rural America, and hunting was like a, a school holiday. Did plenty of fishing, but I never never did go hunting. So you've seen a you've seen a few trucks driving down the road with a. Dead deer in the in the back. 
a young man who lived down the street from me growing up, um, he would hang his deer from the uh, basketball rim. He had, you know, he had a basketball hoop in the driveway. <laughs> you could drive down the street in uh, November, and there might be a nice twelve pointer hanging up from uh, from the basketball rim there, Just drying out, ready to getting ready to turn into deer jerky. Let's let's, let's pick this game, John. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're picking a game here. I think so. Kentucky's okay. a two-point favorite at Missouri okay. in deer season in Columbia. I really think just the lack of fans in a stadium in the SEC is jolting to opponents. You go into a home stadium and you expect a hostile environment and all those Missouri people are out killing deer. So I'm going – I think it gives it an edge. Golly, that that – Kentucky team I saw against Tennessee was abysmal, and I could imagine—I can imagine Will Levis not playing, but a few snaps. And guys beat up quarterback. I'm going with Missouri there. Ooh, wow! All right, you surprised me. You were saying not many fans in the stands. I thought you were going to take Kentucky, no, but no, no. I meant that as a plus because Kentucky—it oh, okay. just came off a game in Neyland Stadium. Of course, it didn't handle—it didn't handle a big crowd well either, did it? No, yeah, okay. I, I think you're not giving enough credit to the atmosphere at Missouri this year. They've had a bounce back year in attendance. They've had some some really nice crowds. But you do oh. mention, you know, we're shifting from bow season to to gun season now. I, I do think that comes into play here a little bit. But the Cardinals aren't in the playoffs. That that does help the crowds there. But I, I'm going to go differently than you. I'm going to take Kentucky. I know instinct maybe says no. You know, Missouri coming off the win, Kentucky coming off their worst performance of the year. That says take Missouri, right? Well, so many times in betting, uh, I've been told you got to do the opposite of your instinct, which I have not done enough of this year. So I'm taking Kentucky. All right, let's get through this one quickly, John, because we got bigger games to get to. Florida on the road at Texas A&M. Texas A&M is a three and a half point favorite. I'll bat leadoff here. Again, instinct might say, well, how are you going to take the Aggies? They're three and five. Um, you know, the sky is falling. Well, I haven't been real impressed with Florida here really since their season opener against Utah. Um, you know, they used to have the fun and gun under Steve Spurrier. Now they, they don't threaten anybody through the air. Um, Anthony Richardson, you know, good running quarterback, but hasn't proven himself consistently as a passer. They don't have the complement of wide receivers they usually do. I think Texas A&M's defense will be enough for them to, to eke out a victory by just enough points to cover this three-and-a-half-point spread. Uh, So I will take the Aggies. Who you got? Yeah, I'm going the same way. I'm really unimpressed with Florida. They struggle to mount much offense at times. And and A&M has got a pretty good defense for the most part. Um, So I'll go. I'll go the same way. I'll go with the Aggies. All right, let's step outside the SEC for one, John, and we'll get back into it. Our, our non-SEC game of the week that we are picking, Clemson is a four-point favorite at Notre Dame. Notre Dame coming off of a convincing win over a different team from the ACC, Syracuse, last week. Uh, who do you like in this one? you think Clemson can cover that four-point spread? Yeah, I think it can. I just don't know if uh, Notre Dame has enough offense, but that's a, that's a tough pick. That is a really tough pick. I'm going the other way. I'm taking okay. taking the Irish. I think Notre Dame's getting slightly better. 
this season. Um, I think Clemson might need a quarterback change. I don't think Dabo is going to do it. He tells you he's not going to going to do it. One would think he knows their quarterback situation better than I, and he's normally handled those situations better than most in the, in the past. And and here they are undefeated. But I just don't really love the way Clemson's gotten to undefeated. They they walked the tightrope against Wake Forest. They did it again against Florida State. They did it again against Syracuse on the road at, at Notre Dame. I think Notre Dame may win this game outright, and I certainly like the Irish uh, getting four points. All right, back inside the SEC, John. The possibly next head coach at the great university at Auburn, Auburn University, I should say, Hugh Freeze of Liberty. We'll take his, the Flames, I think, Liberty Flames, will be headed to Arkansas this week. In Arkansas, you know, they were my preseason dark horse. They disappointed me a little bit this year, but now they're back on track. K.J. Jefferson back from injury, looking good, rumbling over everybody. Uh, just blew out Auburn. Arkansas, 14-point favorite at home against Liberty. Who are you taking here? I like what Liberty's done. I like Hugh Freeze as a coach, but I think Arkansas's kind of got it together now. K.J. Jefferson's rumbling, so I'll, I'll give the points and take Arkansas. Mm, I think I think Arkansas's got it back together, too. I think they might uh, they might get their way to to eight as many as eight victories. I think they're going to win this game. 14 is just a little bit too much for me. I, I, I'm, I'm impressed with the way Liberty really just thumped BYU. I know it's not a great BYU team this year, but they, they just blew out BYU a couple weeks ago. That one is lingering in my brain probably more than it should, but I would say Liberty covers um, here. Arkansas wins, but, but Liberty covers. All right. The, uh, the big games, the biggest games in the SEC this weekend, John. I'll let you take them one at a time. I'm, I'm gonna as, as you're in first place in the standings, having you bat lead off in both these big games. Tennessee is at Georgia. Georgia, despite having a banged up team, you know, some of its stars are not fully healthy going in this one. Georgia is an eight and a half point favorite, and then Alabama. Going at LSU. LSU, last time we saw them, uh, was putting it on Ole Miss in the fourth quarter. Pulling away there. Getting themselves back in the SEC West conversation. Alabama, 13-point favorite at LSU. Georgia favored by 8.5. Alabama favored by 13. Who do you like in these games? Uh, LSU-Alabama, I just think that's too many points to give LSU. I think it's playing playing better now. Uh, it's... I think its defensive front can pose problems for uh, Bryce Young and pressure him, although he's very good at evading pressure. But I, I'll take the points in LSU there. And Tennessee, eight and a half? Tennessee, I definitely would take the points. I think that's the best pick of the week. You think Tennessee's going to win outright, is that correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. I don't have Tennessee to win outright. I'd like Georgia winning a close game. But I, I pick this one with confidence as well. I'll, I'll take Tennessee and the points. No doubt about it. LSU, I, I, I'm I'm with you on that one. I'm taking the points there as well. 13 points at home to Alabama. I just think that's too many points to to play with for for LSU. Um, LSU is a team that I think is getting better. Um, I don't know if you can say that about Alabama. I know they bounced back from their loss to Tennessee and really took care of Mississippi State. I don't put a ton of stock in that just by how bad 
Mike Leach has been against Nick Saban during his time there at State. I don't know. I, mean, I, I think Jaden Daniels is playing really well. I know, um, you know he's still more of a threat as a runner than a passer, but I think he can have some running success against Alabama, keep LSU in this game. I'll take LSU in the points like you. All right, that leaves our locks of the week, John. I'll go first. I'm stepping into the Sun Belt for some Thursday night action. Who doesn't love a little Thursday night Sun Belt? Coastal Carolina, 7-1 this year. Got a veteran quarterback, Grayson McCall. Nonetheless, they are seven, or excuse me, a three-point underdog to Appalachian State. They are getting three points at home against App State. I think Coastal Carolina, I'm an expert in them, watched all their games. I think they win this one outright. I certainly like them with with the three points going their way. It's like the it's like the uh, the handicappers got this one wrong, John. And I I say that as someone who's terrible at picking games. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I know more than they do on this one. How how is Coastal Carolina three point underdog seven and one at home to App State when it seems too good to be true? It usually is, but I'm going to say in this case it it just is. Too good to pass up. I'm taking Coastal in three points as my lock of the week. I admire your intellectual confidence. Uh, I mean, you you still believe you're smarter than those guys. The, the results mm-hmm. keep proving you wrong, but you said, no, those are just a bunch of flukes. I, I like that pick, though, uh, probably better than mine because I would like anybody's picks better than my lock of the week. It's the unlock of the week. It's the... I don't know why I don't just start reversing these because I have pride and, and confidence in my ability too. So that's why, as stupid as it might seem, my pick is North Carolina against Virginia. I think North Carolina is a nine nine point favorite on the line. I saw. Is that right? Mm-hmm. You see? Okay. Yeah. Memo. Uh, Virginia hasn't gotten the memo on this being an offensive era. It's stuck back in the nineteen fifties. That was one of my favorite games, if I can interrupt you. One of my favorite games of the season on Saturday. You know I love those competitive, bad games. That field goal fest between Virginia and Miami going into overtime, and then it turns into the alternating two-point conversions. Virginia has a chance to win it. Well-thrown pass into the end zone. Wide receiver can't haul it in. A 14-12 final made it look like Miami scored a couple of touchdowns. No, they got four field goals and a two-point conversion to get to 14 points. I just... I love those type of games. Wouldn't you have loved to watch that game in Vanderbilt and Missouri back to back? I mean, mm. that would have been a nice double header. Yes. Uh, and, and if Missouri could have been in two places at once to have Missouri and Auburn that game. Oh, that was one of my favorite games of the season. Just both teams that, refusing to snatch victory. You know, I misspoke. That that was a better that was a better example than than the Vanderbilt one. Yeah. So you're taking North Carolina covering nine points. Yes, North Carolina. Sounds great. We'll be back with you next week. Thanks for listening to SEC Football Unfiltered. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.